Here's a tale about two girls I know. They talk about crime and spooky stuff and have a hell of a show. We all gasp and hold our breath at the stories they tell. Some are about heavenly visitors and others are trips through hell. So sit back and relax with the paranormal chicks for stories about ghosts and killers and, yeah, sometimes dicks. Hey y'all, this is Carla from Georgia, and I just want to thank the beautiful creepster who gifted me with this intro. So now sit back and enjoy this sinister sighting with Carrie and Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 133. And you just heard the intro by Carla H. She was rhyming it up and down. She understood the assignment. That's right. Well, if you understand the assignment and you want to do an awesome intro just like Carla H., head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. We know that we're coming to the end of 31 Nights of Halloween, but even if you join in November, all that good good's still going to be there. You can go back and listen to all the extra content that's been building up for, what, two years on Patreon? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. There's a lot of extra content. So all of y'all that we've seen in the Facebook group go, oh my God, I'm binged and I'm called up. What to do? Head on over to Patreon. You get more content. Yeah, you do. And those Facebook lives, y'all. Oh my God. You get the whole extra Facebook group that's just for people on Patreon and yeah, like Donna said, it comes with Facebook Lives once a month, and sometimes they're a shit show in the best possible way. <laughs> well, speaking of shit show, this one's called That Time My Shithead Brother Sent Me Into Cardiac Arrest. Hello again, my favorite ladies. I should preface this story by saying it's a long one and might get confusing. My boyfriend and I live in a very small town, so small that my boss and his boss are twin brothers, and their parents are our landlords. Some friends from home and my little brother, along with his girlfriend, came to visit one night. What is there to do when you live in such a small town? Go randonauting. My little brother's girlfriend, we'll call her A, downloaded the app and set it up. We all piled into my car and off we went to find some ghosts. Where we live, there are tons of dirt roads that lead into tons of other dirt roads. The app took us to a particularly eerie oil-filled location. For legal purposes, I totally made this whole thing up, wink wink. It was close to 11 at night, back in the woods, so it was pretty fucking dark. The closer we got to the location, the more my scaredy cat kicked in. The app told us we had to drive to a fence park, then walk the rest of the way to the location that was in the middle of the fucking woods. I told the boys in A that I would sit in the car while they went. A was pretty spooked too, so she decided to stay in the car with me. The boys weren't scared, so they all decided to go. It was my boyfriend, who we'll call D, and his best friend B, and my asshole little brother G. So me and A are sitting in the car, doors locked, in deep conversation. Next thing I know, A's face goes completely white, and she tells me to be quiet. My heart dropped 10 stories out of my asshole, and I freeze. <laughs> she says, I think I heard someone. At this point, I'm still frozen and pretending she did not just say that shit. She looks in the rearview mirror on the passenger side and screams, Haley, go right now, drive. 
So my NASCAR ass put that bitch in drive, and I have never in my life stomped on the gas pedal so fucking hard. We drive up the road a little ways, and she is bawling. Once we're far enough away to pull over and calm her down, I asked what happened, and she said, I saw a face. When I tell y'all somebody slapped me, I was so shocked. I mean it. I knew she couldn't have been faking because you don't cry and shake like that when you're faking. She was really freaked out. I asked what the face looked like, and she said it was just a dark face, and it looked like a man was on the ground under the car, crawling out from behind the back tire and coming to my window. This is when I officially said, fuck this, we're going home. Then she hits me with a question, what about the boys? Motherfucker, the goddamn boys, a fucking course we have to go back. So I decide to call D, no answer. I tried to call G. His phone was in my car. Finally, I get a hold of B. I tell him what happened and he says, bullshit. Me and A both scream and told him they all need to get to the gate as fast as they can so we could get them without having to wait for whatever the fuck was under my car to come back. B tells me, okay, we're a pretty good distance from the gate. We're in the woods. Make your way back to the dirt road and stop at the end. Then when I say go, floor it and get the gate and we'll start running. By the time we make it across the field to the gate, y'all should be pulling up. We'll jump in and go. Okay, this is a good plan, I tell myself. So I get to the end of the dirt road and I've got my foot on the gas just waiting. This is when B yells, go. I stomp on the gas once again. Not even half a fucking second later, D, B, and G all come jumping out of the fucking woods by the end of the road, not at all by the gate, and I lock the whole fucking car up, slamming on the brakes. My first thought was, holy shit, whatever was at the gate was chasing them. I'm yelling at them to hurry in the car, and I'm still freaking out, when I notice that none of them are hurrying, and they're all laughing. And I'm like, um, excuse me, what? That's when A says, did y'all do all of this? And they just laughed harder. Turns out, the dark face A saw was my asshole shithead bratty ass little brother. He was going to try and crawl his way to the front of the car and jump in front of the hood and scare us. However, we noped the fuck out of there before he had a chance, and they decided to make a game of it and scare us again by jumping out of the woods at us. When I tell y'all my blood has never boiled at such a temperature, I was more than happy to get home and sleep off the multiple adrenaline rushes I had. On a completely unrelated topic, that car I was driving that night was only two weeks old. Brand new, just bought it. About two weeks after that, I got in a wreck when some big bitch in a big T-bone truck T-boned me. No worries, I was all good, injury-free. However, I think that bitch is mentally scarred. Right before I was hit, I was re-listening to older episodes and just so happened to be listening to the episode where Carrie does the hiney laugh. Right as this bitch hits me, Carrie hits that laugh. When all the dust had settled, I finally realized what had just happened. I snapped out of my trance, and the lady had already gotten out of her truck and was at my window screaming for me to respond to her. All the while, my newly broken radio was playing the honey laugh on repeat on full volume. That's right. I don't know how the fuck it happened, but the radio was stuck on a three-second loop at the exact spot of the evil laugh, and it wouldn't stop. So I can only imagine what this woman was thinking as I was blankly staring into the distance with this laugh on repeat for God knows how long. I know this was long, but hopefully you guys get some good laughs out of it. All the love, Haley. That would be my nightmare. Just the laugh on repeat? The laugh on repeat. Over. You want me to do it? No. (laughs) No, I don't.
Yeah, how do you get stuck like that? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, they say when you get a new car, you should like hit it with a bat because it's going to get wrecked. Yeah. A new car doesn't stay new for long. Oh, I hope you had um, gap insurance. Gap insurance. Yeah. Yes. If you're buying a new car, you better have gap insurance. Oh, also, girl, you're a better person than me because I would have been like. <laughs> Walk home, bitches. Exactly. Exactly. I am petty, petty. Been like, all right. And I would text him when I got home and got into bed. Hey, girls. Hey. I started listening to your podcast earlier this year, and it has become my daily listen. I work from home, and my youngest started kindergarten this year. So I'm home alone most of the time. So just wanted to say I appreciate your daily company and for giving me a reason to laugh. Anyway, I have a lot of stories I would love to share, but for now, I'll share an unexplainable, possibly paranormal one, and a true crime-ish one. Please bear with me as I'm not the best storyteller or writer. Also, I apologize, they're a bit long. You don't have to share them, or you can split them up, or whatever you please. I just hope it satisfies the crime and the paranormal obsession for all of y'all. My name is Megan. I don't mind if you use my name, but I'll probably keep a few details vague due to some circumstances. To start, I grew up in a small town in Idaho. Not an everyone-knows-everyone kind of small town. It's bigger than that. I probably only knew half of the people in town. Both of my stories take place here. I'll start with the possible paranormal one as it's a little easier for me to talk about. I was in middle school, probably 7th or 8th grade. My brother, who's four years older than me, worked at a local fish hatchery. I just remembered how one of you love fish. Just kidding. Anyway, my brother often worked alone and would have to go feed the fish on the weekends, so my parents and or I would sometimes tag along with him. What the hell's a fish hatchery? Like where they hatch? Yes, I think so. I don't know. I'm the one who just loves fish. (laughs) (laughs) This particular day, it was just me and him. The fish hatchery is a good 20 minutes or so outside of town, and the drive there is a bit desolate passing by some historic pioneer sites. Next to one of these sites we drove past, there's a stone bridge, probably just tall enough for a full-grown man to walk under. I don't know why my brain went straight to probably tall enough for like a full-grown like troll. (laughs) Like, I went straight to, like, a troll underneath the stone bridge. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I know they said it's long, and I'm going to be quiet now. No, you're fine. I know, I'm fine. Mm. I would always watch for the bridge, because then I know we were getting close to the fish hatchery. Two words I never thought I would say so much in my life. And how hard it is to say it. (laughs) Look, okay, I have have troubles. No, it would be hard for me to say, too. No shame. (laughs) It was in the middle of winter, and we were just on our way to the fish hatchery when we reached just before the bridge. At that moment, I saw something big, full body covered in blackish-brown hair and running on all fours, kind of like a gorilla. I saw it dart across the road and go underneath the bridge. The circus wasn't in town, and, well, we live in Idaho, so I was confused. I remember finding it odd enough to think I was hallucinating, so I turned to my brother and said, Did you see that or am I crazy? He said, No, I saw it too. So being the kids we were, we decided to investigate. 
He stopped the truck and told me to stay there while he got out to look around. He walked down to the bridge to see if he could find anything. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there in the truck thinking that this is a perfect scene for a horror movie and fully expecting my brother to get killed by this thing, leaving me stranded there with no way to get help. Luckily, he didn't get killed, and when he got back to the truck, I said, what did you find? And he said, nothing. (laughs) Such a brother answer, like, (laughs) no. Yeah. My brother has hunted all his life, so he knew how to look for tracks. There were no tracks. The bridge wasn't very wide, so he could see under it, straight through it, but there was nothing under it. The ground slightly dips down to go under the bridge, but once you get to the other side, it immediately starts back up the steep hill. So had it run all the way under the bridge, it would have had to run uphill to where even I would have been able to see it from the truck. We both saw it, but it's like it just disappeared into thin air. It had human-like characteristics, and we're familiar with bears, and this was definitely not a bear. It moved like a man running on all fours. The closest thing we can think to compare it to is a Bigfoot, which I'm not sure if Bigfoot is classified as paranormal. However, there are numerous other Bigfoot sightings near this area. To this day, we're still baffled by it. If anyone has any other ideas on what it it might have been, I would love to hear. Okay, so on to my true crime-ish story. I was either a sophomore or junior in high school. A new guy had started attending there. I'm choosing to not use his name. I had noticed him because he had several classes with me. I'd never spoken to him, but had noticed he seemed kind of odd and like he preferred to keep to himself. Our high school had open seating in our classes, and I started to notice that every class I had with him, he would make sure to sit directly behind me. If the desk behind me wasn't available, he would make sure to sit as close to me as he could. He would stare at me the whole class period, every class I had with him, a creepy scowl on his face making me feel super uncomfortable. I didn't tell my parents as I figured he was just trying to get a rise out of me and it would pass. Before long, though, he started calling my house, way back when landlines were still around and everyone had one. How he got my number, I'm not sure, but back then, phone books were also around, so question mark? But since my family didn't know anything about what was happening, they started teasing me that a boy was calling. I would just respond, I don't want to talk to him. I don't like him. They'd make up some reason why I couldn't come to the phone. From there, he started stalking me around town. These are the two most memorable times that happened. Across from my childhood home, there's a park. No playground toys, just open grass and trees. And my family would often go across the street to hang out and play games. One day, we were out there playing croquet when, out of nowhere, he shows up on his bike and just sits there for several hours watching me and my family. When we went inside, he finally left. But I felt uncomfortable knowing he knew where I lived. The town I grew up in is small enough that you can walk everywhere, just about. It's a relatively safe town, and so my mom would often let us kids walk to school to hang out and play. My older sister and I had decided to walk across town to the middle school. We were playing on the swings when, again, out of nowhere, he shows up on his bike. 
I told my sister, that's the guy who's been following me. We stopped swinging and started running down the sidewalk of the school to head home. He hurried and rode his bike a little ways in front of us and cut us off so we couldn't pass him on the sidewalk. We turned around and ran to a church nearby that was thankfully open with people there. I don't know where he went from there, but we waited a while and then walked home. This continued for several months, and I had started to realize the severity of the situation and wasn't sure what to do. I decided that if he insisted on sitting next to me in every class we had together, I could muster up the courage to write him a note. At this time, I still had never talked to the guy. So I did it. I wrote him a note asking him what his problem was. He wrote back saying, Nothing ever happens in this boring-ass town. Someone needs to keep it exciting. I wrote back saying, Leave me alone. And he responded something along the lines of, He wasn't going to, and if I tell anyone, he would kill me. (gasps) Luckily, I was smart enough to hold on to that letter. I was confused and scared on what I was supposed to do. No one tells you how to handle these situations when you're a teenage girl. Or a fucking adult, for that matter. Very true. Much less a teenager. Jeez. On to another phone incident. I was in drama in high school and had just gotten the part of the stage director for the play Grease. I would take my cell phone with me to practices and performances to keep in touch with my mom. Somehow, he had got my cell number, and on opening night, he started texting me messages saying he was going to be there watching me, that he'd meet me backstage, etc. I'm not even sure how he knew about my involvement in the play, but I let my teacher know what had been going on. She called the cops, and they came and stayed backstage with me. There were hallway doors that led backstage that I remember them closing and locking as a barrier. I never saw him that night, but I'm pretty sure I spent most of the time backstage in a panic attack instead of helping direct the play. After the play, I went home and my mom could immediately tell something was wrong. I broke down in tears and told her what happened. I found the note and handed it to her. My parents realized the severity of the situation and took me, the text, and the notes directly to the police. I told them what had been going on. I'm not sure what happened after that, other than I think the police talked to the guy and told the school he wasn't allowed to be in any of my classes. Thankfully, after that, everything stopped. He still lives in my hometown that I live about 30 minutes from, and I have run into him occasionally when I go to visit. He still makes me uncomfortable. But in a weird way, I'm thankful for that experience to teach my kids and others to not be afraid to stand up for yourself and to speak out when needing help because if I hadn't, who knows what could have happened. So those are my two stories for now. I know they're not as crazy and exciting as some of the others you've done. I hope it wasn't a lot of rambling. I'm writing this at 2.30 a.m. Why I'm up, I don't know. Anyway, I'll try to write in about my other stories when I get a chance. You guys are amazing. Megan. You're following Donna's hours at 2.30 (laughs) a.m. Right? I feel like when you write it all out, sometimes when you're that far removed from the situation, like timeline-wise, it's like, well, now that I'm saying it all, it doesn't seem like that much. But yes, it does. Because when you think about, you know, teenager you or fucking adult you, because I would be just as scared as an adult, it's like, no, he just was fucking with you for fun. Yep. 
that says a lot about him as a person that he didn't care at all. And he thought it was amusing to invoke sheer terror in someone. Yeah. Yeah. Evoke, invoke, whatever it is. He wanted to do it like to you just for his pleasure. Yeah. I'm so glad that not only did your teacher take it very seriously at the event, but so did your family and the police. Like they weren't like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just teenagers being teenagers because no, it's fucking not. No. No, that's a creepazoid being creepy. (laughs) Yes. I can't even imagine being in the class. Like I'm so easily distracted Mm -hmm. anyway, but then him being behind me and me not being able to see what he's doing, That's how what, he's looking at me, and just feeling him. Oh, gosh. That's what I was about to say, too. It's like, you can't get away because you're at school. And, like, when you're supposed to be concentrating and learning and, you know, doing all the things, he's back there making you uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing and send them all in. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, also, I believe I believe Bigfoot is considered paranormal. And it's a cryptid now? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure that's considered a cryptid. It's like a big cryptid. Uh, I just meant like... Yeah, we get it. You know, it's in the top. But I don't know what that was. In size and our hearts. Aw. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Okay, this one is Hotel Stories. This is from Anthony, and you know we've been begging for these Hotel Stories on Discord. Okay. So he says, I'm sending them in today. I have, as I sit at my desk at 4 a.m., decided to write in my hotel collection of creepy experiences. I have an hour of downtime, so here we go. Anthony's holding your hours, too. What's all these people being awake so fucking late at night? Go to bed. Uh, He works those hours. Yeah, but go to bed. (laughs) You work at a hotel. Go find a bed. Just kidding. Okay. When I was younger, I was unfortunate enough to be the son of an on-site maintenance worker at a local motel. I was 11, and while I was young and didn't understand then, I definitely see that a lot of my childhood there was enriched with experiences that allowed me to be who I am now. I never realized how much hotels change people. But don't you act differently at a hotel? Yeah, I act bougie. (laughs) I'm like, elevator, please. Mm, Well, is that bougie or lazy? Is there a difference? (laughs) I'm like, do you have any great poupon? No. But I do love a hotel breakfast. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hotels are horrifying. To think of the continuous use of a hotel room for people to do in the dark what they would never do in their own homes or in public with friends. One of the first training courses we get as an industry standard is on being taught the signs of human trafficking. I once believed I'd been witness to a trade-off of a child, and I'm ashamed to say that I didn't act on it. They seemed too real. The day after that, I did find that child safe and with her mother, who checked herself and her daughter out together. But that could have been a lie, too. How would I know? The crimes that occur in hotels daily would shock you. And forget about that feeling of your room being possibly vacant before you came into it. I guarantee you that not less than 12 hours before, there were people bare-ass naked on the carpet with their significant other. Or maybe even a smuggled-in dog had shit on that bed. But trust me, housekeeping changes sheets. Got it? 
Or maybe a local drug dealer chose that room to deal out for the night. Or maybe a distraught and mentally ill father chose to end both his and his son's life. That's what happened here in room 421. The story is thin beyond a helpless father that didn't want to bring his son back to his substance abusing mother, who unfortunately had custody of the boy. And the day he should have checked out of the hotel, he unfortunately decided to check out of life, bringing his young son along with him. There aren't many clear details anymore. The mother got herself together, I believe, and the internet is scrubbed of anything regarding it. On my first day here, I knew something was different, and on my first night alone, I saw the boy. He was a glimpse of a memory in my head, like a carbon copy that fades away, or if you look at a light bulb for too long and it stains your vision, that's what he was and still is in my mind. He loves to play, and I was his favorite for a while, but I stopped being fun, so he moved on to my work mom. He plays hide-and-seek mostly, but now he claps. He's clapped a few times since I've started writing this. I even think he whispered, hey, to me a few minutes ago. For Halloween, I brought him a bouncy ball and a toy car. In return, he started to control my shuffled Spotify playlist, playing songs by the Duprees called You Belong to Me. It's creepy. Look it up. I would have never played that on my own, and I knew in my mind it was him. I stood up from behind my desk and told him he had no access to me or my personal belongings anymore, and that he could not interact with me whatsoever. This was the second time me telling him, but the first time wasn't his fault. My work mom, who is the chosen haunted one here on the front desk, decided she would have her daughter prank call me pretending to be a boy locked in the pool. The number was anonymous, which I had seen in our office caller ID, so I was already a little freaked out. Her daughter is a great actress because my reaction was to slam the phone down and take a screwdriver out of the junk drawer and walk to the pool. But it was empty. Ever go to a dark hotel pool room at 2 a.m. and look for an abandoned child while also thinking about the ghostly boy roaming the halls playing tricks? I didn't breathe the entire time. This little boy has knocked over pots and pans in the kitchen while in the dark looking for a light switch. He's hidden under tables with a tablecloth waving in the still and empty room's air. I've seen him peek out from behind a room divider in our ballroom. One day, I came into my shift with my coworkers running out into the hotel entryway, yelling that the little boy was talking on the walkie-talkie we used to communicate with the laundry attendant. Our general manager heard it as well as my work mom. But my poor work mom, she's one of those people that jumps at any kind of loud noise. He claps around her often. She's terrified to go into the kitchen at all. He's tripped coworkers by moving a grate off a drain in the kitchen. It's his territory, and I think I know why. Just off the kitchen and the ballroom is a storage room, where I believe stores something from the room he died in before renovations. So he stays near it. But I like to think he finds comfort in knowing he can trust a fellow hotel kid. Or maybe... Maybe in that hotel room, the one everyone pretends to be someone else in, just before you arrived, a nice old man left from visiting his wife, as he does many times a year. She did pass in that room, room 215, peacefully in her sleep, her husband beside her. 
She stays in that room because he goes there to see her, or maybe she's waiting for him to join her. Last for today, there's an elevator man. He seems the most horrific, considering our elevators take a little longer than normal to open the doors while you're waiting inside. Or maybe it's the screech as it goes up. John, the energy in the far elevator, died of a heart attack. Another guest found him while attempting to board it. And he couldn't get out of it. But I helped him. With a little black tourmaline and some guidance, John no longer stands in the elevator, waiting to be able to step off. And that's it for now. I love you both dearly and will send more stories if you bully me hard enough. Love, Anthony. Wow. Um, already want more stories because I love them all. Uh, worth the wait. Yes. That prank about the pool. Oh my gosh, I would have shit myself. I'd have been so pissed. What's with all these fucking pranks from people trying to scare people? Yeah, I love those stories. And I would be your work mom in that situation because I get startled by everything. Yes, you do. However, Marley went and got a bath today And there's this one dog, it's a sheep dog, and I've got to take a video of this dog (laughs) because going into like where they groom the dogs and keep the dogs, it's just uh, like a half, if you have two of them, they're called like a Dutch door. Yeah, it's just like the bottom of a Dutch door. Yeah. The bocce? The bocce. The bottom of the Dutch door. Well, but it's like just like a screen door bottom, okay? Well, every time, like, I can't see around that corner, like, but that dog, it's a black dog, it jumps up on the door, but it just, like, leans its head over just to be like, who here, you know? Yeah. But I think it's a person, because it's, like, (laughs) tall enough to be a person, because it's on that door then. But every time I jump, and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, today, did it again. And uh, because I think it goes to daycare there. So it's there every time I bring Marley. And after I got Marley, put her in the car, I went back out because we're having an issue with Marley's skin again. Imagine that her skin, my skin. It's a thing. So I went back in and he did it again. And I was like, oh, my God, it got me twice. And she said, oh, my God, was that you? Because I I literally was like, because he already did it once. Like, you know who it is. <laughs> but he didn't. Hello. Like, I left. <laughs> he heard me say bye. And then the door opened again. He was like, who Who's this? this? <laughs> yeah. But I, like, I gasped because he does it so fast. He's just so agile. <laughs> and so I don't hear it. And and I'm just like, whoa, you're there. So, yes, as much as I, like, clam up, usually. Yeah, you're not like a, ah. Yeah. Usually I'm not like, so I just like kind of gasped in or whatever. And the girl, Tyler, was like, that was you? Yeah, that was me. He gets me every time. He got me good. Every time. So bad. I'm not as bad as you, though. But I think it's because also I expect someone to be there then, but it's like, then not a person. You know, like, yeah, it's like, oh, that's not one of y'all. Okay. That's heartbreaking about the dad and the son. Like, I like read over that very quickly because it was like, oh, my God, that's so sad. You know? Yeah, that is sad. But also that elevator guy is very lucky that you helped him kind of cross over. Right. If that's what you did. I don't know. I don't get all those things, but (laughs) I feel like that's what you did. Just so he's not stuck in that 
constant loop. Yeah. That would be so bad. I don't love elevators as it is. Like, I mean, I love them because they're convenient and I'm lazy, but I like being the only person, like, well, not the only person. I like someone else being in there with me, but like only one person. When it's a crowd, I I don't like them. I'd rather wait or like, I'm like, I shut down. Yeah. I'm just like quiet, like, okay, 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 okay. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Oh my God. If I was John, I'd be a ghost in the corner. Like no one, no one knows, but I'd be like, oh my God. Oh my God. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. You sound like the cowardly lion. (laughs) That's like the biggest compliment ever. You need to get out more. (laughs) (laughs) This one is titled A Ouija Board Nightmare. Content warning, child abuse, not suitable for small children, and overall scary as fuck, anxiety warning. Hello, my Southern Queens. It's your new BFF, Jen, with a story that I would like to share concerning my mother's childhood experience with the Ouija board. This is very difficult for me to share, but she has passed, and I think she would love it if even a single person could take something of value from her story. Technically, my mom never told me this story. I never learned about these events until after my mom's death. I randomly texted my mom's cousin, John. That's weird. Not to be confused with John from the last story. Right? (laughs) Cousin John, some interesting questions, and instead of texting back, he immediately called me. I had asked him specifically by text, do you know if my mom ever had an experience with a Ouija board or used one? He asked me why, and I told him I just need to know. He slowly said yes. He knew all about it and gave me the firsthand account as he too went down this awful path with her. What made you ask that question? Well, maybe she's going to tell us. Maybe. My mom and I shared everything, and for her not to share this with me in life, I know this had to be one of the worst experiences of her life. But after speaking to her cousin John, it explains a ton and fills in a lot of blanks. Buckle up, bitches. So typically when one is a kid, your parents warn you about things like, don't do drugs, don't talk to strangers, Be aware of your surroundings at all times, and so on and so on. And the last little thing my mom would tack on to her spiel was, and don't ever touch a Ouija board. See, your mama know what's up. I don't fuck with Ouija boards. Right? She would say, if one comes out at a sleepover or a party, you leave. My mom was an empath, psychic, very in-tune person, so I just attributed it to that and let it go. For some context, my mom, Kat, grew up in Waco, Texas, and the story would have taken place in the early 70s when she was roughly 13 years old. Over the previous four years, her father walked out on my granny, forcing granny to work three jobs to keep her kids out of public housing. And being that granny had to work around the clock, This left my eight-year-old mother as a primary caretaker to her infant brother, Michael. Also, the church basically told my granny that she need not come back now as a divorced woman. That's disgusting. Mm. 
A couple of weeks later, the gas water heater in their new home exploded, burnt the house down, (gasps) and killed her puppy. Oh. This now forced them to live out of a motel in town where my mom worked after school cleaning motel rooms for extra money. As an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. She was the poor kid wearing secondhand clothes and eating dinner each night out of the fucking nutritional wasteland that is gas station foods. Worse, when she was 11, she began being sexually assaulted. Jesus. Then raped on the regular by her creepy-ass uncle. (gasps) My mom had a lot of bullshit to deal with, and she was really on her own a lot. The summer she turned 13, her cousin John, who was 10 months younger than she was, came down to spend the summer with her in Waco. Their mothers are sisters. John would be staying at my mom's house for the summer, and being that Granny was always working, these kids had a lot of unsupervised time to roam the neighborhood. Their favorite place to hang out was a small Cobb Walker Cemetery on Hillcrest Drive. It began as part of the family farm of County Judge John Cobbs. There's a fence section that holds 21 graves, and slaves are buried in unmarked graves outside of the fenced area. The two of them found it very peaceful and loved all the summer wildflowers that grew around. On one of these trips, they met Tracy. Tracy, like my mom and John, had a large amount of unsupervised time. Tracy was also 13, Kind of new to Waco and would be attending 8th grade in the fall at my mom's middle school. Tracy became their third wheel. They would roam the neighborhood, play baseball and football in the street, and hang out at the corner store smoking cigarettes and listening to music. On one of these trips to the corner store, the three of them were just hanging out in the parking lot, eating peanuts, drinking Dr. Pepper, and smoking cigarettes right before the 4th of July. That sounds like my fucking kind of day. (laughs) Tracy casually just looked at the two of them and said, you know, me and my brother have sex all the time. (gasps) Insert jaw drop. What the fuck? But it's okay because we've been doing it a long time and our parents don't know. Tracy talked about it for a few minutes and then mentioned, and we do the Ouija board together all the time. Sometimes when we have sex, sometimes with his friends. John said he and my mom looked at each other, not really knowing what to do. Tracy then went on to invite them over the next afternoon as her brother, age 18, (gasps) and his friends were coming over to play the Ouija board the next afternoon. Now, check this. Summer in the South is hot. Tracy's house had a cold-ass air conditioner. My mom's house had no air conditioning. Tracy's house had food. My mom's had no food. Tracy's house had real toilet paper and a telephone. Apparently, my mom and John could not resist the temptation of a crisp 71 degrees and food. John said he and my mom didn't really think this game was real. John said that they decided to go. They played the Ouija board that afternoon. Then they started playing every afternoon. Apparently, Tracy's parents worked and had jobs but liked to party and were never home. So this became a daily thing. 
John says that the questions were basic and that they did receive some very interesting and accurate basic information. John said that after about two weeks, things started to change. Things became very heavy when they went over to play. In the middle of a hot summer day, the house was dark. He said that the nature of the questions being asked by the rest of the group were also kind of getting weird. My mom and John kind of started to get uncomfortable. He said that they definitely connected with something evil, that this entity presented itself one way, earned everyone's trust, and then started to ask the group to do things. Bad shed. The information that was coming through was becoming stronger and more accurate. This thing seemed to be getting stronger with skill and strength. Tracy's brother and his lame-ass friends thought it was cool. They treated it like a game and wanted to push this thing to a whole new level. Mom and John were scared shitless, but also as curious as could be. Then things started moving in the house. Things would randomly fall off the table or the kitchen counter while playing the Ouija board. Things began to happen that were obviously supernatural, according to John. The next day, Tracy's brother told the group he wanted to do a seance. Mom and John had no idea what a seance was outside cheesy movies. But once things got started, they realized that this was something totally different. Tracy's brother apparently had really gotten into Satanism. He studied it deeply, come to find out, and he had began praying in a language they could not understand. John said it was... 103 degrees outside, not a cloud in the sky, but inside the house, it seemed like midnight. Random objects began to rattle and shake very slightly, and that's when he explained to the group that he wanted to use the energy of the group to bring demons over into this world. This caused Mom and John to break the circle immediately and leave, just got up and walked out the door. Keep in mind, this is just some everyday-looking single-family home. A little three-bed, one-bath, cozy, 1970 family with family photos on the wall, carefully arranged, fake flowers, and that old-ass crunchy potpourri. This was not some satanic temple or abandoned church. This was going on in a regular residential neighborhood. John and Mom promised each other that day that they would never play again. By this time, it was the first week of August, and John was going to be going back to Dallas to start his seventh grade where he lived. Fast forward to Thanksgiving. Around one in the afternoon, John said that he got out of the car in Granny's driveway with his parents and his two sisters as they were spending the holiday in Waco. My mom was immediately out the door, met him in the driveway, hooked his arm in hers, and said, walk with me to the store. He could tell something was wrong. Mom asked John if he had played with the Ouija board since he left in August to go back to school. He said no. Mom was really upset. She told him that Tracy had convinced her to come over one afternoon to play the Ouija board. She promised it would be light, no big deal, that her brother was sorry he pushed things too far, and so Mom agreed. Mom went over to Tracy's house, walked in, saw her brother and his friend and a couple of older girls she didn't know. She noticed immediately that all the windows were blacked out and the room was heavy. They sat down and started things off light. Then Tracy's brother asked everyone to hold hands. 
Mom told John that she could feel the pressure in the room building. And again, things started to get weird. He looked at my mom and told her, this time you are not leaving. What? Tracy's brother began to pray, just like he did the last time. After about 20 minutes, random objects began to vibrate and shake, just like last time. Mom said she didn't know what to do and just froze. Tracy gets up and walked to the center of the circle, undressed and laid down in the middle of the circle on the floor. Her brother stood over her, prayed, and then proceeded to have sex with her (gasps) while continuing to chant this fucked up prayer with the rest of the participants. Mom said that at that time, Tracy started to move in a weird, unnatural way. She became possessed. Her face was no longer the same. Mom believed that in some way, Tracy's brother was using Tracy as a conduit to bring demons into the world and let them loose. He was also using the energy of the group to facilitate this in some mysterious way. Looking back on it, Mom was positive that this could not have been the first time this group did this. Mom said that she went on to witness stuff that scared her so bad that she couldn't repeat it. Mom freaked out, and knowing that the front door was blocked, she ran through the kitchen hoping the back door was unlocked. And it was, and she ran for her fucking life. Mom told John that for weeks after this experience, she was having paranormal experiences in her own home in the form of nightmares, shadow people, noises, and things moving. She prayed each night traditional Catholic prayers, and after a while, it stopped. It scared her so bad that she and John made a pact to never use a board again, and neither of them did. I understand that this story is a lot. I understand that some of you may find this hard to believe. I get it. It's hard to put this out there. But if it helps validate or add clarity to even a single listener's experience, my mom would be so happy. She would also want some of the younger listeners to take this experience as a warning to not play with the board. Apparently, Tracy's brother got into meth and ended up murdering a bunch of innocent people during robberies, probably for drug money, and is now dead due to an accident. Tracy, according to John, was never the same. She had a darkness about her and just went down a bad road from what I understand. I don't think she lived past 40. Thank you for the opportunity to share my mom's experience. This has been very therapeutic. Creep it real and listen to your gut, Jen. Holy shit. Whew. That fucking 18-year-old should have gone to jail for fucking incest. Oh my gosh. What do you do as a kid and like your friend just says it so nonchalant and it's just like, uh, uh, what? And then how she put it like Tracy's house was like... You had AC. Oh, yeah. That's like classic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like her basic needs were being met. So she put up with everything that went on there because she had food. She had air. She had the basic needs met. And so, I mean, that's just fucking like Psych 101. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, for her mom and them to go over, like, look, if I was home alone and I was a kid and my house didn't have AC, but my friends did and it was dangerous, be like, I accept this danger. I'm going to go. You're like, I don't want to die today, but I'm hot. But I'm hot. And that's sad, but that's so true. But again, that's... 
That's real life. Right. Wow, no wonder your mom never told you that story. Fuck. That was a lot just for me to read that. That's, that is so heavy. Well, I'm glad that your uncle told you all that. Yes. I'm so glad your mom was able to go out that back door. I don't know what I would do. Like, when he was like, you're not leaving this time. Like, I think I would be the human version of a fainting goat. And that's not being, like, I I don't know. Like, my body can't handle that. Yeah. I mean, she's lucky that she is safe, like, from a physical standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about mental health and emotional trauma and all that. I'm talking about from, like, a physical yes. standpoint. That she, because that's what I was thinking, too. Like, how did that kid even know? Not kid. He was, I mean, 18 is a kid, but technically a legal adult. Like, how the fuck did he know how to do that? Right. Which is why you're saying, like, it wasn't his, clearly was not the first time. Mm-hmm. And then how do you, like, the people who were in that circle be like, oh, cool, cool, cool. This dude's having sex with his sister. Right? Like. Fucking disgusting. Ugh. Hmm. That was heavy. But, like you said, I think that's that's a really good, like, hey, don't fuck with one just thinking it's a game. Shit can happen. Yeah, it's not a fucking game no matter what, uh. The Parker brothers told you. Right. Yeah. And also, it really matters who you're with, you know, because it might be light and fun. If if you want to do it, I mean, you do it. But follow it, the rules and do it with people you trust. Yes, because it depends on the people with you, I feel like. Yeah. Okay. The next one is scary stories my father told me in the dark. Hey, my sexy girlfriends. Please read that in your best long duck dong voice. I was very confused. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that one because I was like. Why is she reading it like that? I, yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that, I think, once. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, this is from Christina. She says this is Christina. So hopefully I did long duck dong justice. <laughs> Okay. I'm so glad you got that. Because I would be like, you'd be like, Carrie, how I say this? How I say this. (laughs) Switch with me. Okay. My name is Christina. I just started listening to you two, and I'm in love with your podcast. I just made it to episode 21 and have a lot of catching up to do. But it's 2020, and binging podcasts and Netflix shows seems to be the thing to do, right? I myself did not really have any elaborate spooky stories, but I have heard a few from family members and a couple of little spookies of my own I thought I might share with you guys. The first I have is my father's story. Growing up, he used to have dreams that he realized were visions of the future. This went on until one night my father had a dream of his favorite cousin's death. In the dream, his cousin was driving home from high school on his motorcycle and was in an accident. My father tried to warn the family what was going to happen, but no one believed him. One day, the phone rang, and my father said he knew it was the call, telling them the accident happened and that his cousin was dead. After that event, my father worked very hard to block his gift, but still, every now and again, he'll wake me up in the morning to tell me to be extra careful that day. On those days, I know he had a dream, and I need to listen to his warning. The second story is one of my father's as well. In McAllister, Oklahoma, my father and his family moved into a fairly old home that did not originate on the property that it was on when my father lived there. 
which led to a few structural oddities, a door on the outside with a large drop because they didn't replace the stairs when they moved the house, a hallway leading to nowhere because putting the pieces of a house back together is hard, I guess. When they moved in, there were a few rules given to them. There were areas of the house that were off limits. One closet in particular. This will be important later. My father is the youngest of five, two girls and three boys in total blood relation. His parents also fostered children, so sometimes the numbers of each gender would change. In this house, they decided that the girls would have the rooms upstairs and the boys would sleep downstairs. At night, the boys would have card games downstairs while my grandparents and aunts slept upstairs. This is when the activity started small at first. One of the boys would be deciding what card to play and they would hear whispers, play this card, hold that card. Sometimes the chairs would move. Nothing really crazy yet. Soon they would see people moving about the house and they would follow them down the hallways that led nowhere to the closet that was locked and off limits. Then they started hearing what sounded like sawing and then screaming out of nowhere in the middle of the night. They really did not know what the source of the activity was until one day the owner came to get something out of the closet. The kids followed them into the closet where they saw pictures of the people that had been wandering around the halls. When they asked the owner who those people were in the pictures, they were told that they were patients that were treated in the house back during the war. I forget which one. And that the house used to be a makeshift hospital in those days. The closet was the place that they stored the bodies and body parts that were amputated during surgeries. They realized the sounds and screams they were hearing in the middle of the night were the spirits reliving their surgeries. Oh my gosh. A few years after my father and his family moved out of the house, there was a fire in which the house did not survive. When my father went back to visit, he was told that the day of the fire, people watching saw people moving around in the house despite knowing there was no one living in the house at the time. Those are two elaborate stories I can remember being told growing up. I have a few lesser stories of my own to do with my adventures in house-sitting for extra cash that I will tell you, but I know the ones I just told are kind of long, so I might save them for another time. Give it some time to come up with a couple more to tell before I type them out. Thank you for taking the time to read my father's story. I hope they were up to your caliber of stories. Keep creeping it real, Christina. Uh, those were so good. So good. And your father basically lived in a Winchester mystery house. Right? <laughs> Whoa. Doorways to nowhere and what the hell? Yeah. Holy shit. But, oh my God, could you imagine being an onlooker and being like, someone's in the house. Someone is in the house. And people are like, no, they're not. But you're like, yeah, they are. Yeah, like, I see someone. Oh, God. And like the screams and stuff at night, the moans, and oh my gosh. See, and where I'm a skeptic, I'm like, well, that guy was probably just trying to scare them. But then it's like, well, they had the screams and stuff, so. Yeah. The next one is imagination. Hey, y'all, I'm Jen. First, let me start by saying I need help deciding if part of this is my overactive imagination or what. So here we go. I'm currently 27, living in my mom's house with my husband and my baby girl. My mom bought it when I was 17 and then moved away a few years later, so my husband and I took over. 
When I first moved in as a teen, I felt like there was a presence of an old lady who would watch me at night, so I naturally freaked out, and I would sleep with the lights on for roughly six months. Eventually, I got over it and moved on with my life. I never actually saw her, but I would picture her, I guess. I don't know, but it stopped. I've had quite a few sleep paralysis episodes in this house since moving in. Then about four years ago, I started dreaming, or maybe it was sleep paralysis because I'd open my eyes and look in the same direction every time and beg myself to wake up. So anyway, I would open my eyes and look at the corner of my room to see a boy standing there. He was about eight years old, brown bowl cut, weird, and a navy blue shirt with jean shorts, just staring at me. I'd be so freaked out, I'd beg myself to wake up, and then when I finally did, I'd quickly turn on the lights. This went on for months. After a while, I was at a family member's, and she asked me and others if we wanted to get on the Ouija board, which we did a few times a year. We all agreed, and almost immediately someone came through for me. I wasn't looking or even thinking about the boy. I hadn't seen him in a few weeks. Because my dreams had progressed to the point that I was able to get out a few words, and I told him to please stop. So the spirit says that it's the boy from my dreams, and he told me his name, which I won't repeat, and that he's my spirit guide, and he only presented himself as a little boy to be less scary. I said, well, it's deaf scary, so please don't. Side note, my husband and I had been going through some stuff, and he said that he was there to protect me, and he was mad at my husband. And in my mind, I immediately said, please do not say anything else, please. And it immediately slid to goodbye. I didn't want any other family members to hear what we had been fighting about. I only heard from him a few times after that and nothing since. Fast forward to now. So a few months ago, I started thinking that there was this woman in my room. And I'm freaked out now just typing this. I picture her laying on her stomach under my bed watching me walk around my room. I only feel it on my side, which is weird. How the hell did I go my whole childhood not being afraid of stuff like this to being an adult afraid of the dark and what's under the bed? I'll tell you that fucking Ouija board. (laughs) So do you think that the woman is my imagination subconsciously trying to scare myself? P.S. A few years ago, I was visiting my mom and she told me that when we bought the house, she felt an old woman in this house and that she made her feel like she was supposed to buy it. Crazy. We went all these years not knowing we had seen the same thing. Thanks for reading my story and keep being the badass chicks y'all are. Um, that sounds terrifying, okay, though? Like, if you... I was picturing it when I was reading it, like someone laying on their belly, just like watching your feet walk around and like, I don't know, them tracking your movement everywhere by just like watching. Oh, I don't know. That was just eerie to me. But maybe it's like your imagination, but also it's something in the house, but that's what your, that's how it manifests to you. Like you... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like you interpret it, I guess. 
I don't know, but I think it's weird that it's like, don't be scared. I just presented myself this way so you wouldn't be scared. Yeah, I don't trust that. Oh, yeah. That that spirit thing, the little boy spirit guide, yeah, not a little boy. Definitely not a little boy. But I don't think that's the same same thing that you're feeling that's underneath the bed. Yeah, I agree with that. What it is under the bed, I don't fucking know. Other than to run. Okay, the next one. Since I can remember, I've always known that there was something special in my family. I grew up listening to how my mom could see things. Family and friends would refer to them as demons, ghosts, or spirits. Some would just say she was crazy. I always slept in the same room as my mom, and there would be times that I would wake up to my mom screaming and crying. I have very vivid memories of my mom screaming and pointing at something in the room while my dad would desperately try to calm her down while praying and screaming to whatever she saw to leave. Sometimes she would wake up with bruises or cuts. She would often say it was an old woman that would stand next to her while she slept and would hurt her. When we lived in my grandparents' house, she would always say that a man would stand in the window and stare at her while she slept, and if she tried to cover the window with something, the man would be in the room despite having the doors closed and locked. My dad saw it a couple of times, and he would freak out thinking that someone had broken into the house. After running outside with his rifle in hand and looking all over the house and the street, of course, he never found him. One of my aunts would call her crazy and would say that she was just trying to get attention or cause drama. Well, that was until my mom dared her to sleep in the room with her. When she did, she woke up in the middle of the night crying and calling my mom a witch. Stuff like this would happen randomly over the years. One day, my dad woke me up in the middle of the night and said that we were going to see a lady that could help my mom. I felt like the car ride took forever, and every time I would ask what was going on, All they would tell me is that everything was okay and not to worry. Eventually, we made it to a house that had a long dirt road leading up to it. My dad got out of the car first and went up to the house while my mom and I waited in the car. After a few minutes, he came back and told me to stay in the car, lock the doors, and no matter what I heard, not to leave the car. They both went inside and I sat there by myself until I fell back asleep. Eventually, my dad came when my mom passed out in his arms. He put her back in the car and smiled at me saying that everything is okay while we drove away and headed back home. Eventually, my mom told me that she had a special sight that she could see things and that the lady that lived in the house helped her by putting a blindfold on her so that she couldn't see the things that scared her so much. She did say that the lady told her that the day would come when she would be able to see things again and that it was up to her if she wanted to accept it or fight it. But when she got it back, it would be stronger than ever. I'm now 35 years old and I know that she has been able to see things for a while now, but she's okay with it now. I used to be terrified of this, but I have come to peace with it. The thing is that I think it is a gift also. I don't see things beside the occasional shadow or something on the edge of my eye, things like that. But I do sense things and I don't know how to explain it. But when something is about to happen or just happen, I can sense it. Like I freak people out by calling things before they happen. It's weird and I can't really explain it. 
All I know is that whatever it is, it has saved my life more than a few times. Anyways, I'm sorry I rambled so much. I know I'm not the greatest storyteller, but I have many stories that really scared the crap out of me. And a few pictures and videos I've taken where you guys can see spirits or ghosts or whatever they are. If you guys get a chance to read this, thank you for taking the time and keep on keeping on. You guys are awesome. How scary growing up with your mom, like, screaming and all of that. Oh, my God. I bet that was terrifying for you as a child. And see, people don't ever want to believe them. But I'm glad they were like, okay, stay the night then. Sleep in there with her then. Yeah, I love that she was like, put your money where your fucking mouth Mm -hmm. is, then come on. And then they're like, you're a witch. Um, No, she's not. And if she is, so? Right? Uh, she's not, but she went to see one and it, and they helped her. To not see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, go ahead, type up all those stories. And y'all do not give yourselves enough credit. No, y'all don't. Y'all are great storytellers. I know. I'm like enthralled every time. <laughs> yes. All right. This is the last one of October. Oh, my gosh. No pressure. Right? Whoever the story is. <laughs> Better fucking be a good one. No, I'm kidding. They all are always good. Hi, loves. I am a new-ish listener, and you guys are hilarious. And yeah, totally agree. 1985 is the bestest year. <laughs> I'm taking a Facebook hiatus for a while due to the craziness in the world and my mental health. But I'm very jealous of your Facebook group family. And if I ever do rejoin the Facebook world, my first to do is to join. I have a few little stories, but this is the one that made me believe. My grandmother's second husband was my grandfather. I called him my pop-pop. Well, they divorced when I was about 10 and I lost track of him. That's all my stepfather's doing, and that's a whole other shit show. In 2015, I received a Facebook message from someone stating that he passed away, and since I was the next living relative, I needed to get in touch to get the ashes and death certificate. The ashes went on my mantle and the death certificate in my glove box. Remember this. 2017, I'm working at the hospital, and as a neurotech, I frequently come into contact with patients who have a, quote, altered mental status. My patient that day was an AHS patient. She claimed to be a medium and stated I had a follower. I'm like, oh, okay, and I continue my study. She said I looked up to him as a father once, and he was recently deceased. I thought of my ex-husband's grandfather and mentioned him, and she was like, no, not him. He was actually family. Well, the study was done, and I forgot about the combo. A few months later, my friend is hosting a medium party. That sounds amazing. I know. I've always wanted to have one of those. I don't know why I said it so intensely. <laughs> have one of those. I was about to say, okay, dramatic. But, like, you see it on... um Long Island Medium? Yeah, that's everything in life relates back to that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I'm like, damn, I want to do that. Teresa Caputo, where are you at? Uh, Long Island. Yeah, it's a long way away. (laughs) Oh, God, that was too funny. (sighs) We're all standing around while she takes the first person out to their car for a reading. What? 
They came back super fast, and she zoned in on me and said, I have to read you first. You have a follower, and they're being louder than everyone else. And I'm like, well, okay then. As part of the reading, the medium suggested that we bring an item of the deceased to make connecting easier. Me, fully prepared to speak with my mom, brought her ring. Once we're alone, she says, I have to tell you this message now, then we can figure out who he is. The message was to provide a military burial. I'm like, uh, uh. She continues, this man was a father to you once, but you lost contact when another figure stepped in. He's from middle America, had dark hair, and I'm seeing a strong W name. I'm going over what she said because I'm at a literal loss. Then it dawned on me. It was my pop pop. He was an Air Force veteran from Chicago who was listed on my birth certificate as my father. Long story, the gist, my real dad was in prison. Mom didn't want him knowing, so she put my pop-pop down. His name was Walter, and we called him Wally, who had black hair even until the day he died. He didn't receive his military burial because the lady that he lived with really didn't care and just had him cremated. Now, remember when I said the medium said to bring something to make it easier? I didn't have anything except the death certificate in my glove box. Thanks, ladies, for such a great podcast. Lots of love, Leanne. Oh, I'd say you brought something, Leanne. Right? I wouldn't have known that they were going to take you to your car to do the reading. Yeah, that's. I would want that to be in front of everybody. So you could like, like not have to rehash everything with every single person. So you could like know what they said. Girl, I'd be like, um, Carrie, record this. Right? <laughs> Because I get, like, all into it, and then I'm like, wait. What did they say? They yeah, say? they said this one thing, and I can't remember what it is. And it was, like, the most important thing, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Also, I need Carrie to remember things. So it'd be like. And y'all know I don't fucking remember things, so. No, I know. But, I mean, for me, you remember my shit. That's true. I don't know. They'd be like, do you have anyone in your life that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I'm like, yes, it's your mom's third cousin's fourth removed. <laughs> ex-husband yeah. and she's like yeah i forgot about billy <laughs> yes exactly i want a medium party so bad i'll get you a medium pizza party i did not become an extra large pizza by fucking eating medium pizzas ma'am can you <laughs> spring for a large well you said a medium party okay i know no, no no but you know we're gonna spring for more every time <laughs> extra cheese something that would be really cool though well, y'all did not disappoint. Uh, duh, you never do. But for sure didn't disappoint. Rounding out 31 Nights of Halloween. Lots of Ouija board stories. Two Johns, two Jens. And two Ouija boards. Yeah. Two, two, two. What's that mean? I don't know. Well, thank y'all so very much for sending them in. If you want your story read, head on over to the website, aparanormalchicks.com. You can send it in that way. Or you can email them at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your support. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.